Good morning, Salem Chapel, and maybe the first to say Happy New Year uh, to you this morning. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Mark Duncan. I'm the pastor for discipleship here. So glad that you are with us today in this new year. I recognize saying Happy New Year may be a, a charged statement for some of us because um, I did the we facing a new year often are faced with a range uh, of emotions at the beginning of the year, whether that's disappointment. Um, it could be as simple as you're just really disappointed because there's no more honey-baked ham leftovers and Christmas tree cakes and, uh, and, and work is calling next week. Or it could have been from a season of disappointment and loss over this past year. It could be a sense of hope and excitement for the new year, which we look forward to, but there could also be some tension. You know, is this year, can this year be better than last year? You know, they've had a few years in a row where it's like... I don't know. Is, is this year going to be better? Is it going to improve? Uh, or is this going to be more challenged? So I recognize uh, in saying that, um, that the start of something new is an opportunity, I believe, regardless of what emotion and uh, what angst may be walked in the door with today, I believe God has something for you in his word as we look at it this morning. So if you've got a copy of God's word with you, if you go and turn to the book of John, we're going to be at chapter number six today. Chapter number six, we'll start reading in verse number 22. While you're turning there, I would like to say, if you did get a chance to review our Christmas Church at Home video last Sunday, I would highly encourage you, especially if you have a family, to sit down and, and devote some time to do that. I know it happened on Christmas, but it actually wasn't necessarily just something that needs to be said and done on Christmas. Johnny walked through our prayer tool, as, and, and really as a family, our family gathered together and prayed through uh, what we want to see God accomplish this year in our family, and we're looking forward to what he will. So I just want to put a plug in there. If you didn't get a chance to check that out because of the holiday festivities, it's still an appropriate time to devote some time to do that. Now, before we jump into John and in in continuing in our series that you may believe, I want to give a little context to make sure we understand where we're picking up from. So it's been a few weeks since we've been together in that. A couple weeks ago, uh, one of the last things we talked about, Jesus uh, performed a miracle of feeding a multitude with just the two small fish and the loaves of bread. He fed over 5,000 people on the side of the seashore. And if you recall, at the end of that event, Jesus went alone and left the crowds. Remember, they wanted to make him the king in that moment. And he left them and went apart into the mountain to be with his father alone. Later that evening, the disciples get into their boat and they make their way across the Sea of Galilee. And what might be another familiar passage, in, the, in that time, Jesus met them on the sea and came to them in that moment. All right, so all of that has transpired since the last time that we were together. Of course, after Jesus met them on the sea, he got into the boat and they made their way to Capernaum. So where we're going to pick up today in reading in verse number 22 of chapter 6 is literally the next day, literally the next morning after all of that had happened, that's where we are today. So read with me verse number 22. We're going to read all the way through Verse number 35, so hang on with me. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Okay, so just to summarize that, the people that had been there the day before, they got the, the, they saw the miracle of the bread and the fishes. They ate till their bellies were, were full. If you remember, that was a detail that was added into the text to help us understand this was no ordinary serving. Like this was maybe one of the few times in their life where they had buffet-style eating there on the seashore. They ate till they were full. So reasonably, right, after a day like that, what do they come looking for in the morning? Breakfast, right? <laughs> like That's where the food was. We're going to come back to the spot where the buffet was and see if that guy is still there. Of course, they find that he is not and that he has left. And so they are leaving and looking for him in Capernaum. So verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but it is my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We have this statement that Jesus makes, this I am statement. It's one of seven statements like that that he makes in the book of John. And that was on purpose, that he used that exact phrasing of I am, because in the Old Testament, if you recall, when God was speaking to his people and they would ask him, how is it that you want to be referred to? How should we speak of you or tell people about you? What should we say? What did he refer to himself as? I am, right? I am. I have always been and I always will be. That's the, the general idea. So when Jesus is making that statement, he is saying, I am the bread of life. He's already identifying himself again with who God is and with his mission. But then he uses the phrase bread. I am the bread of life. Why is he talking about bread this morning? And what does that have to mean to us today? Well, of course, in that day, in that culture, and in many cultures, to be quite honest, bread is a staple food of the diet, right? You're going to have bread probably at every meal in some fashion. Uh, at that time, bread is, is a reminder that food is needful. It's needful for my daily life. It's something that I take in and that, new, that, that gives my body nutrition and gives me life to my body. And I have a, a confession to make, though, about bread uh, until I was married, I didn't really have a vast knowledge of the many different varieties that there exist of bread, right? Just being honest. When you grow up in the country 
like I do, okay? You basically have four kinds of bread that you grew up with. Biscuits, right? You, you might have sandwich bread, right? You have rolls if it's dinner time and you're fancy, you know, and then you have cornbread. Other than that, nothing else exists, right? That's, that's my bread. That's the bread that, that I know. So when I met my, my wife, who grew up in a very different setting than I did, she also introduced me to all the fine cheeses, by the way. That's a different discussion. And we went to the grocery store, to the bakery section for the first time together. And we're walking through the bakery, looking on the shelves of all the different kinds of bread that are available there. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Like, what is that thing over there? Why is that one, like, brown? Is that chocolate bread? She's like, no, that's rye, you know? And like, why does that one have, like, little nuts sprinkled on the top? Like, who would want to eat that? So many questions about the different kinds of bread. And you can fight me on this one. But there have been more than one occasion where I've gone to the Harris Teeter on an errand to pick up either Italian or French bread, and I've come back with the wrong one because they look exactly the same, okay? It's exactly the same thing. I don't know who decided that one was Italian and one was French. I don't think it was the Italians or the French, to be quite honest. So it's bread, all right? There's lots of different kinds of bread available. Why does the store have shelves like that with all the varieties on there, right? Because there's... They like the, the ability to choose. Some breads have a distinct flavor to them that I might like or that you might like. And so it's appealing to me to have options or choices. And, and just similarly to that, when Jesus is making the claim to be the bread of life, all right, and then when he goes further down there to say in verse number 32 that my father is giving you the true bread from heaven, just the simple fact that he used the phrase the true bread implies what? that there are false breads, that there are false breads. There are other breads of life that I can choose to take in that are not going to have the same effect as what Jesus is offering when he is offering life. What does Jesus mean when he's offering life, when he's offering eternal life? What is he offering in that? You know what's interesting about all of those breads that I mentioned in the store is that while they may all have different flavors and they have different shapes and maybe some are, are raised and some are, are more of a flat bread and, and some have different things added in, it doesn't really matter. They all do the same thing in the sense that for a moment, when I eat them, I feel full. I feel full because I've consumed something, I put it into my body, but it's not that long after that moment that what happens? I'm hungry again, right? I need more. I have to go back for another slice, right? That's a reality of bread. So what Jesus is, is, is trying to address, and the crowd is coming to find him. And by the way, uh, I think that's an amazing thing, that they went to find Jesus, okay? I want to make sure I clarify that before we feel like we're, we're picking on them a little bit, that they did go to seek Jesus, did they not? Like they showed up that next morning expecting that he would be there, expecting that he would be at the place where they were at before. And what was also their expectation that when they came, what was going to happen? Jesus was going to serve breakfast, you know, maybe it's pancakes today, you know. I don't know what their expectation was, but they thought something happened yesterday that was unlike anything else I've experienced before. Something's different about this man. I'd be willing to bet if we go back tomorrow, we'll have the same experience. And so they came looking, and they didn't find him. And so then they canceled the rest of their plans for the day, assumingly, 
hopped in their boats, found some of their other friends that apparently were also hungry that day and said, come on, we're going to Capernaum and we're going to find the man that made the bread. And they're looking for Jesus. Because why? Because they're hungry again. They're hungry again. And so we look in verse number 26. We see Jesus' first answer to their question when they asked him, Why did, when did you come here? It might seem a little harsh on, on the surface to read it. You know, like, why is Jesus like shutting them down? He says, truly, I, I say you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You just want me for my bread, right? That's what we hear him saying. It's like, you just want me for my bread, for what I can give you. And you're like, wow, Jesus, that's really harsh. These people like traveled all the way across the sea to find you. They brought their friends. Why are you shutting them down like that? Well, Jesus wants them and he wants us to realize in that, that he is offering much more than a meal ticket. He's offering them life, life that is defined by the author of life that isn't meant for a moment, but is to be etched into the annals of eternity. That is what he is offering. And this is what I want us to remember today as we look further into the questions that the crowd asks, because these are questions that are in our own hearts as well. I want us to remember this, that Jesus is inviting you, he's inviting us to believe that he is the true bread who will sustain your life both now and forever. It's an invitation. He can't make us partake of the bread that he is offering, of the life that he is offering. But he is inviting us to experience that, to believe that only he is the true bread on an assortment of many choices that we have to feast upon, right? So what we're going to look at this morning first is, is that like the crowd, you and I from day to day truly choose often to make a banquet in the grave eating false bread every day. That's what we think gives us life. That's how we actually, well, maybe what we say and how we functionally live are two different things. There are false breads at work. And so I'm going to reveal this morning in, in the responses of the crowd, uh, three false breads that you and I willingly fill our bellies with. Three false breads. And then we're going to look to see what Jesus is offering in exchange for that. And here's the first one. Here's the first false bread. The bread of physical primacy. Physical primacy. You know what that means? Primacy being first. Right? What, what is happening in my life now? What is urgent? What, what, is, what is a physical need that I'm most aware of? What is happening in my life and is in my face? That is what is most important to me right now. Um, their question was, when did you get here? You know, essentially, what they're saying in that is, why did you leave the spot, like, didn't you know we, we were going to come back like that? You had a good little setup there. You know, we were going to come back and we brought some friends. Why did you make it difficult to find you? Don't you want to take care of our needs, right? Like that's maybe a question even that we would legitimately ask of God, maybe not out loud, but in our hearts of God, don't you care about the needs that are present in my life. But honestly, that's, that's how we think about what is most important to us all the time. No one has to tell you to be aware of your needs. You're very well aware of them, right? Like that's, that's what you think about. You can't help but see the needs 
that you have. A little practical example of this. I, mean, I shared this with you a few weeks ago. Uh, many of you uh, heard that we, we moved across town. We are setting up in a new house there. Thank you for those of you that were concerned about my mailbox from last time. It is all set, so appreciate your, your concern. Um, but I'm looking around, as you may have an experience in a move, you look around your house and you see boxes that are not unpacked, or you see things that need to be set up, pictures that need to be hung, or furniture that needs to be moved or purchased, or whatever the thing is. You have no trouble seeing those things. Why? Because you're living right in the middle of the chaos. Right? It's, it's all around you. Uh, it doesn't matter what's happening outside of those four walls a lot of times. What you're focused on is the thing that's right there in front of you. And that, in, in reality, that's how we often like, play out when it comes to when I'm experiencing tension in a relationship. It's hard for me to focus on what's going on in other people's lives, what's happening elsewhere when there's tension in this relationship that I'm in. Or maybe it's a physical pain or physical ailment that I am enduring, that I'm trying to fight through, and it's hard, and it's hurtful, and it's, it's restricting me in so many ways. I cannot help but not think about that. Or maybe it's a financial need that is hanging over my head like a burden, a bill, or some kind of a debt. And until that thing gets resolved, it's hard for me to think about anything else. You and I are often consumed with this, this bread of the tyranny of the urgent as it relates to me. What are my personal needs? And, and that's all that, that I'm consuming. And really there's an underlying thought in that as I'm thinking about what my needs are. There's, there's almost a, a hopeful expectation, a hopeful, a hopeful expectation that I live on that, that in my mind tells me if that need is met, if that need is met in the way that I think it should be met, then then I will be satisfied, right? Like it's like just one more bite of it, just one more bite. I bet if I can just get one more bite of it in, then that will be enough. But what's the reality? It's not enough, is it? It's not enough. And you and I are experienced enough in life to know that, that as soon as one need is met, what is waiting right around the corner? Another need. It's always that's the reality. That's the reality of being a broken person living in a broken world with other broken people, is that we are very needy. All the time, we are needy. And just because the thing that is most urgent and in my face is resolved is not going to keep me from being hungry again because there's other need around the corner. See, the crowd was looking to solve the immediate need. What was their immediate need when they found Jesus? They needed breakfast right? There's the breakfast man. Let's go ask him for some more bread. You know, I wonder if he's, he's got anything extra with him today. You know, they, they were trying to meet a need. Jesus calls them out on that lovingly by telling them uh, that you are not seeking me because you saw the signs. In other words, you're not coming to me because you recognize who I am. The whole point of me making the bread was not for you to get full for a day. That wasn't the point of it. I'm glad that that affected you. I'm glad that you felt full. Jesus cares about our physical existence. How do I know that? Because he made us physically, right? We have physical bodies. He put on a physical body and lived among us. He cares about the physical, but he doesn't only care about the physical. So you and I often find ourselves eating that bread 
daily, right? If I can just get my physical needs met, then I'll be satisfied. I can surround myself or dream about surrounding myself with physical things to give me a false sense of that security. We call that like materialism, right? Like if I, if I just have enough resources, the things around me, then I'll, I'll feel like my needs can be met. And by the way, that works whether I have the resources or not. It's on both ends of the spectrum. People with lots of resources have the same delusion. People with no resources have the same delusion, right? I can also surround myself or dream about surrounding myself in relationships, you know, healthy or otherwise, to find someone to meet this need, this urgent need that I have. Maybe that's even something pressing on you going into this new year, as you're like, I don't want to spend another year alone. If I can just find someone that would care about me for who I am and appreciate me and and love me, then I'll be satisfied. But you know what that is? It's eating dead bread. It's eating dead bread. That's holding a person up. That's holding things up. That's holding a circumstance up to, to something it cannot stand. You know, I've found it to be true in my life is whatever is my first priority is likely my highest. What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? I would love to say as a pastor that the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning is how thankful I am that Jesus is my everything. That made me sound very holy if I said that, right? That's not how I wake up most of the time. Just being honest. I'm thinking about what I have to do thinking of what's undone, thinking of what's coming up. It's only when I discipline myself to get out of that bed and like open up the Bible, am I ready to hear right from what God has to say? But that's not where my first priority often is. What Jesus is trying to say is I care. I do care about your physical needs. I made you with a physical body. I know you need things. I've told you. I've told you to pray to me. To, to request your daily bread. He literally says that. Like, give us our daily bread. He models that. Talk to me about your needs. But my hope for you, what I'm offering to you, is not just to make you feel full today. But I want you to have satisfaction for the rest of your life. I want to sustain you in that. You see, if your understanding and my greatest understanding of Jesus only rests on what he does for me physically... Am I really experiencing the life that he offers? No. I'm just filling my belly with something that's not going to last. What's the next bread that we see here? It's the bread of self-sufficiency. The bread of self-sufficiency. Look at verse 28. So Jesus has just told them, don't work for the food that's going to be perish, okay? Don't work for that, but for the food that's going to endure. So they say, maybe reasonably, right? Maybe a question we would ask. Verse 28, then what must we do? What must we do, right, to, to earn or to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. The bread of self-sufficiency. I'm sure if I just try hard enough, I can make something work. You know, the, the crowd is there to get a meal. 
Jesus is talking to them about bread. They're not quite wrapping their mind around what exactly he's saying. And maybe in their mind they've justified, okay, so I think what's going on here is yesterday he gave us the free stuff. That was like the free samples at Sam's and Costco. Like we got to sample the goods yesterday. Today he wants a little something in return. Right, what, what is the work that you want us to do, Jesus, to get that bread that you're talking about? We'd love to have that. What do you need us to do? All right? What's your checklist? What's your qualifications before we can have that? Man, that is exactly the bread. That's self-sufficiency. How can I stand on my own two feet? I think that one is the one that I struggle with the most. Like, I don't know if you are wired the way that I am. I don't like surprises, right? I don't like it. I, when I was growing up, I was in Boy Scouts. I took that motto of the Boy Scouts to be prepared very literally, okay? It's like making plans upon plans, contingencies upon contingencies, thinking it through. And for a large portion of my life, I prided myself on thinking through all of the contingencies. It's exhausting work. And maybe you are the same way, and you feel like that that is a projection of strength. You know, kind of like when you go to your garage and you show them you have every tool for every job on the wall. It's like, look, I'm, I've got everything I need right here. Like, that's your life on display. It's like, I literally can handle anything that comes at me. You know, last year, pandemics, all that stuff, didn't even, like, miss a beat. I was on top of all of that. Right? Like, maybe that's you. You kind of pride yourself, and I'm going to tell you a secret. And don't get mad at me because I'm talking about myself. This might be you. That's not a projection of strength when I say I can stand on my own two feet. You know what that is? It's a disguise for fear and insecurity. It is. It says I can't let someone see that I'm vulnerable, that I'm weak. I've got to build it up around. I've got to labor I've got to labor and strive and struggle to present something on the outside that will give the illusion that I have things under control. The, the problem with eating that bread, with living in that reality time and time again, is if I truly, truly believe that I am already enough, I'm already sufficient, I don't see Jesus actually offering anything that I tangibly need. You need to think about that for a minute. Let that, let that one settle in. When's the last time? When's the last time? Outside of like a circumstance that just popped up randomly. When's the last time you, you just like reflected on the fact of how much you need Jesus? Like just for everyday life. Like how, how he's meeting the everyday needs of your life. Like he's, he's holding me up the entire time. Like I know that theologically. I know God's word teaches me that. Right? That all things are under his control and in him he holds all things together. I know that here. But in practice I don't live that way. I live with this reality of like I've got to keep it together. What am I doing? I'm saying to Jesus what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm worth what you're going to do? When Jesus is calling them to eat the bread that he is offering, he's like, what I'm, gonna, what I'm giving to you is not approval of how good your works are, of how, how much I like you. I'm literally giving everything that I have in my flesh. I'm going to give that on your behalf 
so that you can have a relationship with God. I'm giving everything so that you can have everything. You want to know how you work for that? You don't. You believe in my work. You believe in what I do, what I did, and you live in that reality. I think that's one of the most addictive breads in our culture, just being honest. It's, 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 it feels like a risk, right, to, to truly let Jesus be in control when it feels so good, that illusion to have my hands on the reins. He's like, you're not going to find life in managing the risks of this existence in this world. You're not going to find life in that. You're going to find discouragement. You're going to find more fear, more insecurity. He's like, let it go. Stop laboring. Stop working. Experience grace. It's a gift that is freely given. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I want you to have it. He's inviting you. He's inviting you, right? This is the last bread. The last bread we see here is the bread of self-gratification. Self-gratification. In other words, like how do I get what I want? How can I get what I want? Really, that speaks to the idea of my passions, the passions that are at work within me, the things that feel good to me, the things that I see with my eyes that I desire, the things I want to experience in my body. These are things that drive what is important to me? Look back at verse 30, all right? So he's just, correct, just corrected them on, on what they need to do, which is believe. But he says to them, verse 30, they say to him, excuse me, they're like, okay, you want us to believe. Got it? Well, then what sign do you do? So we can see and believe you, all right? What signs are you going to do? What works do you perform? And then I love this, it's I don't think I'm reading too much in it to, to say this, but I believe that they're saying, like, let us give you a suggestion of what maybe that could look like. And they say, our fathers had manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know, they're still on the bread thing, right? They still got breakfast pains. They're like, okay, Jesus, got it, got it, got it. We can't work for it, can't earn it. Okay, so if you want us to believe, then I, I really feel like you're going to have to give us a sign. I mean, it seems reasonable, um, never mind the fact, which is a really ironic statement to say, by the way. Can we be honest? Because wasn't yesterday the sign? I mean, they literally ate the sign. And they ate the sign till their bellies were full of the sign. They missed the point. But like, hey, um, well, that was yesterday. So, I mean, I really feel like today, if you want to prove that you, you could be trusted, then you need to do a sign today. And I have just the idea. Hey, if you may recall Jesus... Back in the Old Testament, Moses, manna came down from the sky. Magic bread landed on the ground like little bread snowflakes with honey on them. I think that would be a great way to really show that what you have going on is something cool. Just throwing that out there. That was really the idea. They're still hooked on the bread thing. Jesus, what can you do for me? You know, I, I really want to believe what you have to say. I really want to believe that there's life in that, but man, I'm really hungry. And I really don't want to hear what you have to say until I get this taken care of. Self-gratification. It's that mindset of living with this thought of doing whatever you have to do to get whatever you want. 
It could be manipulating other people, right, to get what you want. It could be giving into temptation to knowingly sin against God as long as you get what you want. You get, we're, we are so twisted to justify it. We're like, I believe that God, his greatest desire for me is really just to be happy. He wants me to be happy. So he's given me the freedom to determine what makes me happy, even if that thing may go against what he's already said. And we can sort of like tune out the things that are not attractive to us as long as I'm getting the thing that I want. Just like the crowd, Jesus. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll hear you talk later. You can give us the talk. We'll listen to you talk about bread some more. It'll be great. But really, before we do that, could you just, just give a little something? Just give me a little something, something. Give a little validity to what you're doing here. You may even be here today. And you're here today. Someone invited you to come with them. Maybe you're in a relationship with them. And you're kind of like, I'm not really into this Jesus church thing, but I know that they are, so I'm going to come, and I'll listen. I'll listen until it gets uncomfortable, and then I'm out of here. This isn't for me. What are you doing? You're eating that bread, that bread that that is going to leave you hungry of self-gratification, that feels good for a moment, but quickly dissolves away and needs something else and something else and something else to fill it. So the problem underlying in all of those breads that we talked about is when you or I are at the center of our lives, our life is limited to what you or I can gather for ourselves. So everyone else either becomes an ally to that cause or they become an obstacle that I have to take out. That's functionally how we live when we are eating the false breads. And so Jesus lays this out for them. Verse 32, he says, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but as my father. He's giving you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's he talking about? Himself. And so they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. We want to experience life that isn't about what we can gather for ourselves. We want to experience this life that you talk about. It feels out of reach. It feels like I'm just stuck eating these other things. Like I'm just consuming them and consuming them and consuming them. And it feels like nothing is changing. How can we have this is what they're saying in verse 34. And Jesus said this, and you should underline this verse. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Listen to this. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In response to these false breads, Jesus gives clarity to how I can experience him as the true bread in two ways, real quickly. He's invited me to find life in two daily ways. One, to come daily to him. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. That, that idea of coming to him is not just like the crowds who they saw him do some stuff. It was exciting. It was attractive to them. It was gratifying for them. And so they ran to him again to do the same thing. Do a trick for us, Jesus. Like, make this happen for me, Jesus. Not coming like that, but coming ready to receive what Jesus is wanting to give. 
right? Whoever comes to me with an expectation that I can give them something that they don't even know that they need. Humbly, humbly ready to receive. Notice though, notice though, I, I never need to have to fear or to be concerned about how I will be received because in verse 37 it says, all the Father that gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So even on the days when I come to Jesus and I'm a wreck, which is really every day, and I've been eating the false breads that are around me, I've been giving in to the self-gratification, I've been living a lie that I am okay and self-sufficient on my own, I've been consumed with the things that are right in front of me and not with what he's doing or anything related to his kingdom. In spite of all of that, I come with that, with my burdens, with my shame, with my doubts. And he says, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. If you come to me ready to receive the life that I give, I will give it to you every single time. And this is not a one-time deal. Just like it's, you didn't only eat bread or eat food one time in your life. This is a daily choice, a daily practice of coming to Jesus, letting him tell me who I am, and letting him tell me how to be fed. Jesus knows you have needs. He knows you have weakness. He knows you're tempted. You know, Jesus experienced all of those false breads himself when he was on earth. Do you recall when he was in the wilderness with Satan? What was the first thing that Satan tempted him with? He said, hey, see those rocks over there? Why don't you turn them into bread? I know you're really hungry. Well, he's tempting him with like, hey, there's an urgent need. You need to have that dealt with. All right, what was the next thing he tempted him? He said, hey, throw yourself off the temple. You can bring your angels and this fantastic show, and they'll lift you up, and you can show everyone how self-sufficient you are, right? And then he took him upon, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He's like, look, don't you want this for yourself? Can't you taste the power? He's trying to appeal to all of the same things. What was Jesus' response to Satan in that moment? Do you remember? He said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we talk, when Jesus says, come to me, what he is saying is, come and hear what I have to say. Practically speaking, yes, that is getting into this book, making it the primacy of my day, starting things off like that to let him speak and me be ready to receive. He says, come to me. I'll tell you everything that you need to know about yourself, and I'll tell you what it means to truly be alive if you listen to what I have to say. Come ready to receive. Becoming also means changing my diet. It means walking away from the, the temptation to live in this reality where I can make it on my own, do what I want to do, and it doesn't make a difference, and somehow it's going to satisfy. He says, leave that behind and come. And I'll finish with this as well. He says, not only do you need to come, but he says, believe. Believe daily in Jesus. What does that say in the last part of verse 35? Whoever believes in me will never thirst. What is belief? What is belief? A simple definition. A sincere trust 
that leads to a faithful obedience. It's trust that leads to obedience. That's what it means to believe something. When you, it's not until you take that first step in agreement with what you have heard, are you actually believing it, right? Because you're putting everything on the line when you agree with God and you follow him. What is this called out? What does this summarize as? This is what it means to be a disciple. This is discipleship. This is walking hand in hand with Jesus as he what? Leads the way. That's when I'm believing. When I'm going where he's going and I'm following him and I'm agreeing that this is the right way to go. This is what disciples do because they've seen who Jesus is. They come to him willingly. When they come to Jesus, they believe him. And because they believe Jesus, they obey Jesus. And we introduced a discipleship tool last fall. We called the Hear and Obey tool. I've actually, we got magnets of these in the lobby. I encourage you to grab one. Uh, you'll be seeing this tool again this spring because we're going to be rolling this out more across our church. But this is a great example of, of how I, t- I move from seeing Jesus to believing. We call it hear and obey. And just to summarize it, starts at the top there with the car. Now, the car is like me and my life. I'm moving along through life, and I hit some kind of a speed bump. That could be something God has said directly to me from his word that has hit me in a certain way that I need to stop and take note of. It could be a circumstance that's in my life that is it's just begging for me to pay attention to it. Something is going on here. Whatever the case may be, that's what a Kairos moment is, a God-ordained moment in time. God is speaking. He's always speaking. What's the question, though? Am I going to listen? And so if you move around clockwise, you start at the word observe. At first step, I'm like, I need to pay attention. What is happening here? Is there anything I can see that would have caused this to happen? Was this in response to something I did? Is there something else going on? I'm observing. After I've made those observations, what do I do? I go around the horn, I pray. I take it to God and I say, God, I I believe that you are speaking. So Jesus, I'm coming to you today to hear what you have to say. I want to know what you want me to know about my life today. And I give it to him. And I say, your will be done in heaven, in me on earth as it is in heaven, right? And then moving around, I discern. Whether that's going back to God's word and saying, is there something else in God's word that speaks to this thing that I found? Or maybe it's meeting with a godly friend who I trust and I know they're following Jesus. And I ask them, hey, look at what happened in my life. Can you give me any insight to maybe what God is telling me in that? And after I've done that, I'm at the critical junction, right? Because up to this point, it's just been part of invitation. It's Jesus' invitation to listen. And you notice we have the words keep going at the bottom of that tool for a reason. Because often we stop at the invitation. Jesus has put the bread on the table. And we're like, that looks really good. I hear you speaking. I see it. I'm just not going to take a bite. And we walk away. Taking that next step is the critical junction. From, from moving from here to here. Right, from knowledge to belief, making a plan, writing down, this is the one way that I can be obedient to what God is teaching me today. If you use our discipleship journals, it's right there in the Bible reading tool. That's the next step. What's the one thing I need to do? And then you know what I need to do? I need to get an accountability partner. I need to get someone that's going to walk with me, another disciple of Jesus that will support me and pray for me and ask me how it's going. And when I have those things set up, I'm then and only then Am I ready to step out in obedience 
and act on what he has said to do. Jesus makes it very clear. Obedience does not earn the work that he did on the cross, but it is in response to that. Because I am eating on the bread of life. Because he has become more to me than a, a Santa Claus figure that's just, just supposed to do what I want him to do. Because I'm not sufficient, and he is sufficient. Because my life is, is more than the sum of the experiences that are right in front of me right now. He wants to give me eternal life that transcends those boundaries. Remember what I said at the beginning. He's inviting you to believe that he is the true bread who will sustain your life now and forever. Do you believe that that is true this morning? Do you see evidence in your life that you're responding to where he is leading you? Are you coming to him daily expecting to receive something? Are you stepping out in belief, showing that you understand and that you want that? You know, Jesus gave us an amazing gift as the church as we finish, a way to remind ourselves of who Jesus is in light of him being the bread of God. We call it communion. You should have received one of these on the way in. If you did not, and you would like one at this time, our ushers are at the back. You can lift your hand. They'll bring one to you at your seat. But as we continue in that, I just want to read these verses over you, and then we're going to take communion on our own in just a second. It's from verse 51. He continues that thought. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, you know, this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You know, that's a weird thing to say, right? They thought it was weird. It sounds weird to us. He keeps going. He says, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, listen to this, abides in me and I in him. Jesus is not condoning cannibalism in any sense of the word. But like we take bread into our bodies to give nutrients, to grow, to live. He says, what I have done on your behalf, take and receive that. Receive it personally for yourself, not just one time, but every day. And believe when I say that I'm, I'm going to keep my word, that I'm giving you eternal life, you will not be cast out. You've come to me. Live in reality. Uh, he is the true bread of life today. I'm going to pray. And after I close, if you, when you're ready to partake of, of the bread and of the juice and remembering what Jesus did on the cross, I would encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much today that because of your great love, you sent us Jesus. God, and the life that you offer to us through him is not something that we can affect. It's not something that we can improve upon. It's not something that we can add to. It's eternal. It's the way life was meant to be lived. God, I confess the areas in my heart where I have eaten other bread. I've eaten my fill of it. And I thank you that, God, I can come today, confess that, receive forgiveness once again, and find lives that follow you. So I pray that you bless 
in this time and it bless your word as we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name and because of his work, I pray, amen.